Tonight, if you have your Bibles, we're turning to the book of Mark, chapter number 10. The book of Mark, chapter number 10 this evening. We are faced with a very sensitive issue with this text. One that has caused much debate. One that has caused much division. One that has caused much devastation. We might say it's a hot topic uh, in religious circles today. And I want to tell you that I approach this subject tonight with compassion and with care for those that are affected by it. We're preaching on this thought from Mark chapter 10, these first 12 verses. Jesus teaching on marriage and divorce. Some of y'all are starting to squirm already. One man made this statement about it. He said, my wife and I were happy for 20 years, and then we met. <laughs> Amen. A little girl, she was learning the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and she came home and told her mother the story, and she got down to the place where the prince kissed Snow White and woke from her sleep. And the little girl said, Mother, do you know what happened then? And she said, Of course, they lived happily ever after. The little girl said, No, they got married. <laughs> one man, well, his name was Rick. Oh, he was in such trouble one time. He forgot his wedding anniversary. And his wife was very angry. She was very upset with him. She told him, she said, Tomorrow morning, I expect to find a gift in our driveway that goes from zero to 200 in less than six seconds and it better be there or else. Well, Rick got up early the next morning pondering, puzzled. He left for work. When his wife woke up, she looked out the window and sure enough, sitting there in the middle of the driveway was a gift box wrapped up. So confused she was, she put on her robe, she walked outside to the driveway and picked up the box and brought it back in the house and when she opened it, she found a brand new bathroom scale. We've not heard from Rick since. Now, it's good to laugh and have fun and but marriage and divorce are real issues that we face today and I'm commanded to preach the whole counsel of God. I couldn't tell you. I listen, a lot of times I'll listen to preachers and I'll get tied up with a preacher and I'll listen to him for a week, maybe two weeks. And, and man, just verse by verse by verse by. And a lot of times then you'll get to a place and they'll leave a whole section out. And I, I'm commanded to teach the word of God entirely, the whole counsel of God. And I'm not here tonight to be controversial. I want to be a blessing to you. My grandparents... My grandfather went to home to be with the Lord at 94. Grandma outlived him just a few more years after, but uh, they had been married 74 years. And Channel 13 News actually came over and presented to my grandparents at 74 years of marriage a certificate to say that in North Carolina, they were the longest living, longest married, still alive couple at that point in time that year, and they gave them that award. And I said, Grandpa, I said, how many years did, how, how, I mean, how old was you when you got married? He said, old enough to know better, son. <laughs> and I said, well, 
How many years have you been married, Grandpa? He said, well, I got to 50, and I started counting backwards, so I'm not rightly sure. I thought it was a countdown, not a count up. But he said, I've been married 74 years, amen. And I said, Grandpa, what's the success of marriage? And this is what he said. I'm quoting it, Grandpa Waldron. Son, if you'll put the Lord first, and if you'll put your spouse second, and if you will learn to give and forgive, you'll do well. Amen. Amen. Now, there could be no doubt there's an epidemic of divorce in our land. Did you know that nearly 41% of marriages end in divorce? That counts the church as well. And in that pile of statistics are people with real problems, real pain, people that's been crushed by divorce. And did you know that people after divorce, within one year, 60% of men said they regretted it. 73% of women said, I made a huge mistake. And did you know that today, that living together, rather than get married, is up four times what it was 10 years ago. And living together is not pleasing to God. Can I get a witness right there? And I don't suppose that any one of us here tonight are untouched by divorce. Some of you, you've come from divorce homes. You've seen your parents divorce. You, you know about divorce. Some of you, you've been divorced yourselves. Some of you have children who have divorced. You've got grandchildren who've divorced. I don't care uh, how many of us are here tonight. I guarantee at some point in time, we have seen people, maybe ourselves, that had to live through the aftershock of divorce. And if you're here tonight, hear me when I say this, there's really no winner in, in divorce. And some of you, you're uncomfortable with me preaching on divorce and marriage tonight. And you're, you're a victim of divorce. You, 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 you've been faithful. You, you had no choice in the matter. So, some, some of you were unsaved when you got divorced. And, and if you're here tonight and you've experienced the devastation of divorce, let me just say this to you. This is my position. There is life after divorce. Churches from place to place as I go, they have different views on the subject of divorce. I know preachers that have different dispositions and positions on divorce. There are individuals that differ in their interpretations of what the scripture has to say and they become very judgmental. But I'm not here tonight to preach you my opinion. I'm here to preach you what Jesus taught about marriage and divorce. This is what Jesus said. I have five points and I'll be done. Number one, when I look at this text, we're going to start right now. Number one, I see the context in which this is given. Verse one, and he arose from thence, and he cometh into the, into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again. As he was wont, he taught them again. He's just taught them out of Mark chapter number nine about the dangers of hell. And as he finished that discussion, that message, that sermon, he gets up and begins to move, leaving the area of Galilee on his way to Judea. He's headed towards the cross where he's soon going to be crucified. And as he heads south, and as he's getting ready to head into that region, there is a Savior who's reaching out to as many people as will hear him speak. That's the context of what's happening. He's traveling. Number two, I want us to see the crowds there. The Bible says that the people 
resorted unto him again. As he traveled, great multitudes of people followed him. And according to verse 1, as he went, he taught them again. That means as his custom was. He's teaching them along the way. Number three, I've only got five points and this is the third one. Let's see the concerned. Verse two, and the Pharisees, uh-oh, here comes the religious crowd. They'll look down, your, look down your nose at somebody crowd. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife tempting him? So as folk among the crowds, I read Matthew's gospel earlier today. Matthew said not only was he teaching, but he was also healing. So there in that group, as he's teaching the word of God, and people are being healed, their souls are also being saved. Here comes the Pharisees trying to discredit Jesus, trying to cause a problem, trying to cause a distraction. And they say, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Matthew says that they also said, for every cause. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In other words, for any reason. Now, if you think that marriage and divorce is a hot topic tonight at Bethel and where we live, imagine the time in which Jesus lived. What a hot topic that would have been. I mean, the Romans would have 14 and 15 and 20 wives at a time. And so that was very common. And the Jews had divorcement even amongst the religious leaders all the time. I mean, I'm going I'm to give you a couple of opinions. Okay, I'll look this up. There's, imagine today we have, politically, we have two groups of people politically. What do we have? We have Democrats and Republicans. We, we have people that are conservative or fundamental and people that are liberal. That's nothing new. There were two rabbis in that point in time, Rabbi, Rabbi Shama. He had a very legalistic approach that said divorce is never permissible no matter what. Rabbi Hillel took a liberal approach that said you can divorce somebody for anything. And there are uh, things that the Jews wrote that you could divorce your wife if she burnt dinner. You could divorce your wife if she let her hair down in public. Uh, you could divorce your wife if you saw someone you thought was prettier, younger model. You could just divorce your wife. That's what they did. And may I say this tonight? There are many views about divorce. You may have tonight many opinions, and I'll listen to them after we're done all day long. But I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you Jesus' word. This is what Jesus said. I'm giving you Jesus' viewpoint. And hey, at the end of the day, that's the only one that matters. Amen? King Herod had began to get involved with his brother Philip's wife. And he finally got her coerced into having an affair with him. And then he took her. And John the Baptist said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herod and his wife and daughter-in-law chopped off the head of John the Baptist because they didn't want to hear what the man of God had to say about these matters. May I just say that the Pharisees are hoping the same thing will happen to Jesus. They are concerned to discredit Jesus. 
Fourthly, here we go. Put your crash helmet on and your seatbelts. Here we go. Number four, let's hear the consultation. In verse three, now they've just said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Matthew adds, for every cause, tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? He answered their question with a question. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this call shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. At this point in time, Jesus begins to shed some light. And I'm going to tell you something. You might want to write this down. He gives us three rules or three laws about marriage and divorce in this text. They all start with the letter M. First of all, there is the marriage plan. What is the marriage plan? This is the plan of God. Jesus said, in the beginning, God made them male and female. Genesis 1.27. Who's he referring to? Adam and Eve. Very clearly. So who are the participants in this? The original marriage law was instituted by God Almighty. That's huge. He ordained it. He, he, he has initiated it. He, he began it. That was the plan of God. And when God instituted marriage, man is never to change God's law. In fact, God said in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 8, number 18, God said, he looked, he made man, and it was, man was by himself at that point in time, and all the other creatures, there were male and female of all other creatures, but the man was alone. And when he named Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe and, and, and Mr. and Mrs. Uh, dog and, you know, and all the animals, you had to be smart to name all these animals. Man, he was so brilliant. But he got sad because they all had a spouse and he was alone. And God said it is not good for man to be alone. And in Genesis 1.21, God took the rib from the man and he made the woman. And the Bible says in verse 22 that God brought the woman to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And God performed the first marriage ceremony between Adam and Eve. May I say that God is love. You know what brings you together in marriage? Love brings us together. The law binds us together and the Lord blesses us together. May I say tonight, sir, that your wife, the woman, is God's gift to the man. Treat her that way. Amen. You have your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs tonight. The book of Proverbs chapter number 19. Proverbs chapter number 19. Preacher Darren, I don't know if she's a gift. She's something, but I don't know if she's a gift or not. Honey, I'm promising you a woman in your life, your wife, is a gift, God's gift to you. In Proverbs 19, verse 14, you need to underline this. Houses and riches 
are an inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. Some of you women ought to be shouting right there. You ought to say, yeah, right, preacher. Amen. That's exactly right. You preaching it right, amen. Let me say this to you husbands. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. If you're not getting along with the woman God sent you, you don't have much of a prayer life. Till you get it fixed with her, you're not going to be successful in your prayer life. Preacher, I wish you hadn't said that. I'm just talking about the participants of the marriage is a man and a woman. What is God's pattern? Back to our text. Male and female. Not a male and a male. Not a male and a group of women. A male and a female. That is God's participants. That is God's pattern. Y'all ought to get up in here and help me preach, amen. What is God's priority? Verse 7, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. The word cleave is the word kaleo. It means like glue. There should be a leaving. There should be a cleaving. You're leaving mama and daddy. It's not mama and daddy's rules in your life anymore. You still honor them. But now you cleave to your husband and you cleave to your wife. And together you've become one. What is the product? There are no more twain but one flesh. I know in math class we teach one plus one equals two. But God says one plus one in marriage equals one. Amen? There are no more twain. There become one flesh. I hope none of y'all were fighting with your wife or your husband when you came in tonight because I'm tearing you up right now. Last of all, there is the permanence. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. I'm going to say this. Divorce was never part of God's original plan. Can y'all say amen? I see that, Preacher Darren. That is God's, what I call it, the marriage law. Now, second one. Let's look at the Mosaic law. Back to verse 3. Jesus answered and said to them, when they said, uh, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Jesus said, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses suffered, that means permitted, suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus said, well, this was because of the hardness of your heart. So let's see what Moses wrote, suffered, permitted. Y'all want to look at it tonight? Deuteronomy 24. I know it's not popular preaching, but it'll help you. Deuteronomy 24, and I want to look at verses 1 through 4. And I, I, I hope they can put these on the screens because I want you to see them. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 1. I hear pages turning. I love it. Deuteronomy 24. Verse number one, I want you to see in your Bible, this is important. You might even need to underline it. Matthew, Deuteronomy 24, verse one. When a man, oh, wait a minute. The word when is a word that's similar to the word if. It is a conditional clause, a conditional clause. That's very important tonight, okay? So when a man hath taken a wife and married her, 
And it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. Okay, when is a conditional clause and it says then let him write Again, conditional clause. If he's found uncleanness, conditional clause. Let's just keep reading. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another's wins, another man's wife. And, what again, she may go. That's conditional. Verse 3. And if, oh, conditional again, the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house or... If the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife. You see this? Conditional, conditional, conditional. Conditional. Preacher Aaron, why is that a big deal? Verse 4. Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. That is it. And from that, they interpreted that they've permitted or suffered a bill of divorcement for any reason. And actually, verse 4 is a command about remarriage. If anything, Moses was underscoring the permanence of marriage with all these conditional clauses. He's trying to preserve marriage. He's saying if you divorce your wife, you're never going to get her back again. She's been a gift in your life and you're not going to get that gift back in your life again. Now, so I want you to think about this for a second, okay? When did divorce begin? Because divorce did not begin right there. When did divorce begin? Nobody knows. Divorce was already in man changed God's law to have divorce from the original. What about polygamy? When did polygamy begin? Who knows? God never, never authored it. Do you see that? Divorce is man-made. It's a human institution. I have sat down and counseled couples by the hundreds. Okay? And I'm not up here to tell you any of their stories because that's between me and them and, and, and their partners. And I've always counseled them together. Never alone. I would not do that. But I promise you that every single time there is sin involved. Sin. What kind of sin? Oh, there could be anger. There could be wrath. There could be a beating going on. Could be a cussing going on. Could be cheating going on. But I'm telling you, sin is always the relationship that causes the divorce. So Moses only permitted it. Moses never commanded it. Conditional, conditional, conditional. A conditional clause is not a commandment. Swallow, it's going to be okay, man. So let's go over here to, no, no, we've seen the clause. Let's go back to our text. Let's think about the concession. Jesus said in verse 5, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning, of the creation, God made the male and female. He immediately said, this was never God's plan. Okay? Well, wait a minute, preacher dear, and I'm in divorce now. What am I going to do? Okay, so let's think about it. The compassion. These all start with the letter C. The clause, the concession, the compassion. 
Jesus said Moses permitted divorce because of compassion. You know in the Old Testament if somebody's guilty of adultery, they're guilty of fornication, you know what the law, the law commands? Stoning. I have a question for you. King David, did he commit adultery with Bathsheba? Was he stoned the compassion of God Almighty? Did Bathsheba commit adultery with David? Was she stoned? We see compassion. What about the man of God, Hosea, who married a woman by the name of Gomer? Boy, she was a fine pastor's wife. She left him, started having an affair, an affair, an affair. And then at the end of the day, when she's lost it all, she's stripped down to nothing. She's put on the auction block, sold to go be a slave. God said to Hosea, the man of God, go yet and love a woman. And Hosea took everything he had. And when these men were gawking at her and insulting her and bidding on her for her services, Hosea cast the highest bid took off his regalia robe and throwed it over her nakedness. And she said, I'll be a good servant to you. I'll be your slave. I, I can't. He said, get up, woman. I don't need a servant. I need a wife. I love you. That's why I'm here. Honey, I'm going to tell you something tonight. Before you cast stones at anybody for whatever's happening in their life, may I just remind you of how you've cheated on God. Since he saved your soul, You've run around with the world. You've cheated on him. I'm telling you, it's amazing. And God could have stoned you or killed you and took you out. But God has been compassionate. Woo, hallelujah to God. What about King Solomon? The wisest king, the, the most peaceful king. He had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines filled with adultery. But yet God was compassionate to him. Let me say this. Moses also permitted the divorce because of an innocent spouse sometimes who is suffering because of continual unfaithfulness. All right, we have a third. We've talked about the Mosaic Law. We've talked about the original marriage law. There's a third one. Y'all okay? There's the Master's Law. Let's see what Jesus has to say in verse number 10. Of Mark 10. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, and she committeth, uh, married to another, she committeth adultery. In fact, let's read what Matthew wrote. Parallel passage, Matthew 19, and, and we're going to see what Jesus taught about the master's law. We're talking about the provision of Jesus. Matthew 19, verse 9. Hope they can put this on the screen. This is important. I hope you find it in your Bible and underline it. This is important. I promise you, you, you may have been through a divorce. Your children may one day go through a divorce. I'm, I'm telling you, this stuff happens, and you need to know what the Bible teaches about it. It may be someone who comes to you and asks you for advice. You need to give them biblical advice and not your opinion. Matthew 19, verse 9. 
And I say unto you, I right, so who's talking? Jesus. I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, hello, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Jesus said there's one allowance, fornication, one provision. What is fornication? Oh, it's a variety of sexual sins that are committed. And if it is to a position where a person cannot forgive it, and I've seen it forgiven, but I've seen people can't forgive, you can't get past it, then there is a reason for divorce. Jesus just said if you are marrying outside of fornication, outside of marriage because of fornication, you commit adultery. He's upholding the biblical standard. In fact, Matthew 5, Matthew 5, go there with me. See it? He said verse 31, Matthew 5, 31. And I'm going to give you last point in a minute, and this is huge, so just hang in. Matthew 5, verse 31. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now say this, it's always better to forgive if there is repentance, not continuance. Paul wrote something interesting that I was reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Some of y'all look like you're just about ready to die. Preacher, this is absolutely killing me because you're getting me stirred up. You're bringing back, I'm remembering my ex-husband. I'm remembering my ex-wife. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. Will you turn there with me see what Paul wrote, led by the Holy Ghost? First Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. This is important. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if, but and if she depart, now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about someone that's married and saved and the other spouse is not saved. There's an unequal yoke. We don't. But if, it, but at, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. If you're the one that's saved and you're in this situation and your spouse is unsaved, they won't come to church with you, they won't do no way, and you're like, you know, they, they're going to leave me, I'm telling you, you're the best thing ever happened to them. And they're probably never going to get saved if you don't try to work it out. Because you are the salt. You are the one that's bringing light to their life. And Lord willing, they're going to get saved and see the need. Fifthly, and I'm done, this is huge. What is the consideration? Now, Went back in the house and Jesus sat with his disciples and began to talk to them again. There are many areas that are many areas, hear me? There are many areas in a church 
where a person who's committed adultery can still serve and be effective. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm just giving you what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, a bishop, that's talking about a pastor, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. The word one is the same word that we get from there is one Lord. How many lords are there? Not one at a time, just one. One God, how many? How many sons? One son of God. It's the same word. Not one at a time, okay? The husband of one wife. I could also speak about the deacons in verse 12. The deacon should be the husband of one wife. Now I'm gonna give you some advice. If tonight there's someone, maybe you have been through a divorce. Preacher dear, what is your standing on this? I don't look down my nose at you. You've been through a lot. And it's been tough in your life and God has been there to get you through it to where you are and so if you're going through that tonight I want to tell you this that may not be in my sin but I promise you this I am a sinner and there's not one of us in this church that could cast a stone at someone who's been through a divorce Tonight, we need to think about the seriousness of divorce. Marriages are built supernaturally, but they can be broken sinfully. The way you're going to avoid divorce is by pardon, by prayer, by patience, by perseverance. I want to say this to you. You've gone through divorce. You have found out something here. That divorce, oh my, you can survive it. And there is life after divorce. Jesus spoke, and I read it, it almost jumped off the page at me every time I read it tonight. And maybe we just need to go back and look at it one more time. Mark chapter 10, verse 11. I'm almost done. Routing third base, headed for home. Look at it very carefully. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery. Verse 12, the word is committeth adultery. It did not say, are you listening to me? It did not say they were living in adultery. Some of y'all ought to smile right there. That phrase is not in the Bible. These judgmental church people, they're living in it. No. Jesus never said it, and it's not in the Word of God. It's what they came up with to put you down and to lift themselves up. And to tell you the truth, they just pushed themselves down, in my opinion, with that judgmental attitude. Jesus said the word commit. You know what the word commit means? It's an action, but it is not a state. An action, okay? The woman that was taken in the act of adultery. She committed adultery. They brought her to Jesus. He said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. One by one, they dropped their rocks and they had to walk away. And Jesus forgave her. 
She was restored to perfect fellowship. So if you're here tonight and you think, well, preacher Darren and Bethel's going to treat me like a second or a third class citizen. No, there is no second or third class citizens with God. We're all on the same level, ground level. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Do you hear me? So someone that's committed adultery is not living in adultery. And they say, well, I have to. No. God forgives that action of committing adultery. And he restores, he cleanses. You find the next person. You get married. Amen. God can make a beautiful thing in your life. Hey, but wait a minute, preacher there. The, the preacher, you said, that preacher, he, he can't be that. That's exactly right. Let me tell you something. Your preacher, let me say, somebody's been through a divorce and you got little children at home. They need a daddy or, or they need a mama. The, the preacher can't do that in your life. He can never do that and be right with God. But God brings another man in who says, listen, I'm willing to forsake everything else and love you and be a daddy to your children. That's a beautiful thing, y'all. And you're trying to look down your religious nose at it and be pious about it. I'm just telling you, no, that there are men that will preach there and they couldn't necessarily be a deacon. You're right. But what's greater to God if you're a deacon or a daddy to somebody that needed a daddy and get tore up? Somebody needed a daddy in their life. Well, preacher, there and I still ain't understanding. You, you say if you get forgiveness, then, then God cleans you. Why can't you put that person out in being a pastor? And because the word of God's very clear. It's not a conditional clause there. Not a conditional clause. It's very clear. Can I give you an illustration? It's a poor one. Let's say, God forbid, that I decided I was a little frustrated and been out of shape because people didn't like my sermon tonight, and I was upset and mad and went home and decided, you know what? I'm gonna go to drinking. I'm gonna drink alcohol. I'm get drunk. And I did it privately to hide it from everybody. But let's say I'm driving down the road trying to get back to the house and I'm driving under the influence. God forbid, but I wreck my car. And they have to amputate my arm after they cut me out of the car. And I'm down there at the hospital and everybody's concerned about me. And they said, what happened to our preacher? He's lost his mind. What's happened to him? Well, you try preaching sometimes. You'll about lose your mind. And, and I said, oh God, what have I done? I'm such a fool. Oh, God, will you forgive me of drinking the way I've drunk tonight? And you know what God would do? God has enough mercy to forgive me of drinking that alcohol. But I have a question. Y'all help me. You're the three. Do I get my arm back? They said no. How about y'all? Do I not get my arm back? But wait a minute. I said, God, please forgive me. And he's restored me and everything should be perfectly fine. So why don't I get my arm back? Because there are consequences to the action. And that's why that man of God should not be in that pulpit if he's in that position. I think that's why God did that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just trying to explain it to you the best I can. That's why. Hey, let me tell you something. Though that's not happened to me, it doesn't make me better than you. I know men in this church 
that though they may not be qualified to be a preacher, they're a daddy to some children that no deacon could ever be. And I salute those men who have been faithful to that home and that marriage to make a difference in the lives of those children and bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And God help any preacher who's condemning them and putting them down and treating them like second and third rate members of that church when the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So I'm going to tell you tonight, I love you. Every single one of you, I love you. And if divorce happens in your life or in your children's life, you can still serve God in 95% of any office or anything and be effective in your service if that happens in your life. So there is life after divorce because of Jesus. You stand to your feet tonight. Can I read one more thing? Are y'all able to put another scripture up? Colossians 3. We'll read this. Somebody night you hear me preach online. Maybe tonight you're hearing me preach here in person and you're thinking, man, I've gone through this. I just feel like I've failed God. My life is over. What on earth am I going to do? We're turning to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 4. Colossians 3, 4. I don't know if they can get it on the screen or not. Yeah, they did. Read it with me. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Preacher, what's that mean? You think, that devil's lied to you, and you think your life is over. You'll never be able to serve God in any capacity again. The devil's lied to you. Life is over. No, no, no. My Bible says, when Christ, who is our life. Because Jesus is our life, we could still live it. Amen. Amen. Father, tonight, I think it, God stopped me right there. Your head's about nobody's looking. Maybe there's somebody tonight. You need to come to altar. You might need to say, Lord, you've helped me on this tonight. God, help me. Lord, help my marriage. God, help me with what I've been through here. Maybe there's somebody, Lord, help my children, help my grandchildren. I believe there's some folks need to come tonight. Come on right now. Get on your knees. Come on this altar. Come on. We need to pray together. Preacher tonight, I need to get in this altar and say, God, I want to serve you. I want to not be a judgmental person when it comes to these things. Come on right now. God's speaking to your hearts. Come on, God bless you. This is trying to help your family. God bless you. They say, I appreciate my church having this position, a position of love. I appreciate my Savior having a position of love when it comes to these matters. Maybe there's somebody not, maybe you're here in these pews, you're willing to step out and say, God, I want to ask your blessing upon the marriages that comprise the Bethel Baptist Church. Say anybody you'd step out and say, I want to pray for some marriages. I want to pray for my marriage tonight. I want to pray for marriages in our church. I want to pray for marriages of these that just got married. I want to pray for marriages of people who've been married 30 years. Would you come tonight? Come on right now. 
I believe God would help us if we'd do what he'd ask us to do. Come on right now. I'm going to pray in the altar myself. I've got a wife, amen. She's watching right now at home with a grandbaby, amen. And I love her. Come on right now. Father, thank you for your clear teaching on the word of God when it concerns marriage and divorce. And Lord, tonight you certainly have clarified a lot of things and told us that there's still service possible and blessings possible and we don't have a red X over our face everywhere we go. You still love us and you still treat us like we're your very favorite. And God, thank you for that because Lord, we sure feel so inferior and such failure so many times. And tonight, God, as we bow in this altar tonight, Lord, we ask you, God, would you forgive us where we failed you, God? Would you bless our individual marriages, God? Would you bless the marriages of our children, God? Would you bless them, God, to have parents that are supportive and a church that loves them and is praying for them. God, would you bless the young marriages, God, and maybe the marriages that have been married 20 and 30 years, God, would you strengthen them and bless them and touch them, God, and do a great work. And God, there may be young people not God, still single, looking for that spouse that's to be one of these days. God, I pray you'd send them someone, God, that believes in Jesus, Father, like they believe in Jesus, so they would not enter into an unequal yoke. And God, someone who has the same commitment and values to the things of God. Lord, I'm asking you for your blessing upon their lives. God, you brought Eve to Adam. God, you send those girls, God, to those young men. God, that you choose. God, you know how this needs to work. Lord, tonight I pray, God, you defeat the devil trying to work in our midst. And I thank you, God, for the souls that you've saved. And thank you for clear teaching and guidance and instruction in the Word of God and for a church that will believe God's Word and not stand up in judgment or in opinion, but just submit to the authority of the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray and ask your blessing upon our homes and marriages. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.